Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 97 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Lisa Solomon about how you can work with freelance lawyers in your practice. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists, and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Zero Beautiful Legal Accounting, Simplified. Find out more at zero.com. That's X-E-R-O dot com. So Aaron, coming up in my interview with Lisa Solomon, somewhere in the middle, we're talking about the value proposition of freelance lawyers. And she makes a case that hiring a freelance lawyer can actually be a profit center for small firms because you can upcharge that freelance lawyer's hourly rate. So if I'm paying the freelancer hundred bucks an hour, I can turn around and bill the client $150 an hour for that work. This is totally ethical, but something about it just rubs me the wrong way. Uh, and Lisa and I don't get too deep into it. So I thought maybe we could start out by taking that apart and trying to figure out if that should feel icky or not. I, I agree that the instinct of buying something and then making a profit from your clients can feel a little icky in the same way that kind of in the days of early copy machines when you had to pay 10 or 20 cents per copy felt really weird and gross and inappropriate, even though, of course, it was allowed. Mm -hmm. I agree. But at the same time, like, if you have an associate at your firm and you bill them out at $150, you don't pay them $150 for every hour they bill because you have to, you're growing the firm for the purpose of making a profit and you have to cover your overhead and the act of managing them and all of those things. But on the flip side, if I hire an accountant to prepare paperwork that is similar in character to the kind of paperwork I might hire a freelancer to prepare, I I can't upcharge the accountant. I have to simply, you know, send the bill through as an expense to the client. Yeah. And the distinction is lawyers. <laughs> the distinction is the law degree, yeah. yes. Um, or... or it being employed by the firm, right? Because the same applies if it's a um, if it's a paralegal or a legal secretary. I think so. I, I don't know. It, it it feels weird to me that all I'm doing is marking up the bill and passing it through when they're you know working somewhere else or they're they're completely outside of my firm. It's a contract with another company. They're they're delivering me an invoice. Something about it feels strange. But I. I, I, I agree. You can totally do it. And it doesn't feel weird at all if it's somebody who sits in your office and you call an associate as opposed to a freelancer. And Lisa points out that you, you don't have to disclose what you're paying the freelancer to your client. In the same way that you don't tell them what your associates make as their salary. Absolutely. And obviously not. So, I don't know. I guess I just want to throw that out there and talk about it. I don't have like a, a grand sweeping conclusion. But I think Lisa is right you can actually make a profit off of freelancers, which isn't a bad idea if you can't make a better profit yourself, I guess. Yeah, although to the extent that's a good idea, then you extrapolate that out to the extreme and you just have a fully outsourced law firm where you don't do any legal work and you just make a ton of profit on people who aren't even employees or associates of your firm being on call to do all the work of your firm. And that that would be absurd. Probably, because at some point, 
it's probably not going to stay profitable to do it that way. But I, you know, maybe somebody can work it, but it doesn't seem like a good way to run a firm to me. Yeah, I, I guess I have, I have no like major problem with occasionally or even like regularly, but in small amounts using freelance lawyers as a way to get more done or do things that you don't have the skills to do or the time to do or as kind of a new business model instead of having associates all the time. I get that. The fact that you are most certainly not upcharging freelancers in your client's best interest feels a little weird to me. Yeah, it does to me too, but I can't quite put my finger on it and maybe that's the best we can do. But I wanted to try to talk about it a little bit more because I, I kind of moved past that pretty quickly with Lisa. So Yeah, I mean, all that all that said about whether you should upcharge or not and how Aaron feels about it, like the, <laughs> right. the freelance lawyer movement, if you want to call it a movement, this new business model is really cool innovation in the practice and one that I think provides lots of opportunities for solo and small firms to do more than they would otherwise be able to do. And I think that's great. Yeah, it is. It's a really cool way that experienced lawyers can continue practicing sort of on their own terms. And it's a great way for lawyers who are really busy to get some extra work from hopefully from experienced lawyers. And I think uh, hearing from Lisa, you'll uh, have a better picture of what it means, both uh, what freelance lawyers are, how to work with them, and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, here's my conversation with Lisa. This is Lisa Solomon. I'm the founder and CEO of Now Council Network. We help solos and small law firms slay the professional staffing dragon. And we do that by matching them with vetted, experienced freelance lawyers for temporary and project-based engagements. So, Lisa, thank you for being on our show. And before you started Now Counsel Network, you were a freelance lawyer, right? Yes, I worked exclusively as a freelance lawyer for 20 years. Wow. So, uh, maybe the first thing we should talk about is what that means. I mean, I... I heard the term contract attorney, and I think it's sort of the same thing, and I did some contract work early in my practice, but like, tell me what a freelance lawyer is, how do you describe it to people when they're wondering, and what does it all look like? Sure. Well, that's a great question, Sam. There are a few different terms that are in use around the country that fall under the umbrella of what you could consider flexible legal staffing. So, you have freelance lawyer, contract lawyer, and per diem. So, contract lawyer and freelance lawyer are sometimes used interchangeably, uh, although in some, in some parts of the country, particularly on the coast in the big cities, contract lawyer has taken on the connotation of um, a relatively lower-skilled attorney doing primarily document review um, in a basement somewhere. Um, so, People who uh, do what what I did for 20 years and what the members of uh, Now Council Network do um, started calling themselves freelance lawyers, um, and that connotes uh, a lawyer who is an independent business person, the solo lawyer who is an independent business person who works on, again, a temporary or project basis, doing generally more substantive work, uh, and that's generally for solos and small law firms. So we just started using the term to to make that distinction. Now, the third term that I mentioned is per diem. And again, sometimes per diem 
contract lawyer, freelance lawyer, they may be used interchangeably, but generally, in my experience, per diems um, are generally court coverage attorneys, uh, people that you can contact to make an appearance, perhaps do a deposition, but they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily going to be doing a lot of uh, writing uh, on a case, and they may not have uh, an ongoing relationship. So for people who don't know, like in some jurisdictions, appearance lawyers are like a thing. Uh, like in California, if you're, you know, you're licensed all over the state, so you may um, have cases up and down the coast, and I suppose... You don't want to have to drive for two hours to get to court, so you just hire somebody to show up for you and do go through the motions. I assume you show up if it's a summary judgment motion or something, but not if that. Whereas in my state, Minnesota, it's pretty. It's not a. It's not so much of a thing. So in some states, people may not really be familiar with that idea. Sure. In in some in some jurisdictions, in particular, there's just so much inefficiency um, in the in the court system. Frankly, I mean, frankly, as I understand, um, in some jurisdictions like California, a lot of appearances are telephonic, which um, can actually make things easier, make it easier for a lawyer to to actually him or herself participate uh, in more uh, appearances. But, for example, here in New York, where I am, uh, there's really there, there really aren't telephonic uh, appearances. There's a lot of times when you just have to go and get an adjournment or wait around for two, two or three hours before your case is called to do a very short argument. So um, even if you're not, uh, even if you don't have a statewide caseload, you might have appearances in different courtrooms you know, too many appearances in different courtrooms in the same building. You can't be in, in more than one place at once. Yeah. So, what kinds of work does, I mean, we've talked about appearances, which is kind of overlaps, but isn't quite what we're talking about with freelancing. So, what kinds of work do freelancers do? I mean, I think you did mostly appeals and motion practice and writing and uh, on those, right? Yeah. Um, freelance lawyers generally uh, con- do concentrate fairly heavily on the written work. Uh, anything that can be done on paper. Uh, this is not to say that freelance lawyers can't make appearances. Um, they they frequently do, but they're generally not going to be the ones you call for the first time at six o'clock at night, the night before an appearance. Uh, you know, or to handle you know, or to handle just your routine everyday appearance. Uh, for example, a freelance lawyer who drafted an appeal, right, who wrote a brief, might do an oral argument. Now that's an appearance, right? That's a court appearance, but it's connected with a larger project. So, um, but freelance lawyers, you can do basically any kind of work that an associate in your office could do. And it, and you've said you said paper earlier, but obviously we're not necessarily talking about that. Freelancers can be remote as well as local. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm using paper figure figuratively. Yeah. In fact. In fact, uh, in my experience, the majority of freelance lawyers work remotely. So um, I just, if you don't mind, I'll go uh, into this in a little bit more detail uh, because it does go back to the question of what kind of work can a freelance lawyer do. So um, a freelance lawyer uh, generally uh, does not have to be admitted in your jurisdiction, uh, if they're doing, if they're doing written work, right? Work that is, you're going to review and is going to have your name on it 
when it goes out. They don't have to be admitted in your jurisdiction. And that's for the same reason that, that you can have a paralegal draft something for you or you can hire a law clerk. It's because the, the defining um, the defining characteristic of a freelance lawyer is that the hiring lawyer retains the obligation to supervise the to supervise the work. Now, supervision itself that doesn't mean micromanaging. And so, I'd like to talk to that uh, talk about that a little later. We can talk about what that means um, under the ethics rules. But just to know the reason I bring it up now is just to point out that the freelance lawyer need not be admitted in your jurisdiction. And in fact, over over my career, I've worked with lawyers all over the country. Um, so there are a few occasions when the freelance lawyer does have to be admitted in your jurisdiction, and those are what you would expect when the freelance lawyer is is doing something in person. So if the freelance lawyer is going to court, uh, if the freelance lawyer is handling a deposition, um, then they need to be admitted. But um, but it's very frequent that they're not admitted in your jurisdiction. So. Like, could I, could I, outs- I mean, we're basically talking about outsourcing, maybe. I, I'm going to use that word, even if it's not exactly appropriate. But, I, you know, I can send out a contract. I've, I've got my notes and I want to, I want to call up a freelance lawyer or send them an email and say, here's the gist of the agreement, draw me up a contract. Or um, I send over the court file and, and my notes and my interviews with my clients and I say, respond to this motion for summary judgment or draft me a con- uh, complaint. I mean, is that is that kind of how it works, or what? What does the workflow look like? How do I how do I how would I give work to a freelance lawyer? Sure. Well, um, you can work it put it put it into whatever workflow you have. I mean, uh, the first step, of course, is finding a freelance lawyer, right? So, uh, you know, from what you said, it sounds like okay, you already have a relationship established. Yeah, let's assume a, we've already got one. Right. So, you know, freelancer like other kinds of freelancers you need to contact them and find out if they're available. Uh, if they are available for the project, the type of project and within the deadline that, that you need, then it's however you set up your workflow. Freelance lawyers are generally very flexible. We're not here to, you know, to, to wrestle um, hiring firms into our systems. Right, hiring firms generally have their own systems. So, Sam, I know you know that you're very tech savvy. So, you would probably use uh, some kind of file sharing um, to share uh, the particular case file, right, or the particular portion of the case file, like Box or 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 some other file sharing method. Um, other lawyers might use email, right? They they may feel more comfortable using email, and you know, similarly, sometimes you might. You know, some people like to do things by phone. I mean, do you get a boxes shipped to you every once in a while? Uh, you know what? I used to it used to be more frequent. Now <laughs> it's basically it's basically never. <laughs> yeah, I, I have gotten boxes of documents shipped to me um, to help out on uh, doing some appellate consulting, and I uh, eventually I twisted their arm into scanning it instead. So I assume that over time, uh, whether it's because you work with people or just because times are changing, that kind of goes off. Definitely times are changing. And frankly, I used to print out, even when I got files, um, say by email, 
I used to print out a lot of stuff. Now I've got three monitors. Uh, you know, there's I hardly ever use my printer. Gotcha. So, uh, so give me an example. Let's say I, you know, let's say I just don't have time. I need some help drafting a response to a motion for summary judgment. One of the things that makes me wonder about this is lots of the lawyers I know don't seem to realize that they don't have time to draft the motion for summary judgment until three days before it's due. I assume that's not the best time to contact a freelancer. Well, you would be, <laughs> you would be <laughs> correct on that. Uh, the just just as if you were working with uh, you know with an associate in your office although with an associate you probably would have kind of better workflows but yes um it it's best the further ahead you can plan the better mm-hmm. uh you know uh and so you may have more difficulty finding you know a freelance lawyer if you don't have a relationship already established with one or you may contact your um freelance lawyer that you work with frequently and they may not be available in a short, you know, if, if the deadline's too short. I mean, that's the, that is the downside of freelancing of working with a freelance lawyer is the freelance lawyer is a freelancer, doesn't yeah. have to take every project. Um, but the, the flip side is that if you can plan ahead, right, or on occasion, you know, you're a freelance lawyer can do a, a rush job or a job on short notice, certainly, uh, then the, the, the benefit is that you, it's a freelancer. You don't have to pay the freelancer when they're not working. So we're going to take two minutes to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about cost and I want to talk about challenges and I want to talk about where to find freelancers and build a relationship so that you've got people to call. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is, you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant... Tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Zero, including Lawyerist. Get a free trial at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O dot Beautiful accounting software. Okay, we're back. And Lisa, I'm curious about cost. Like, I'm sure it varies. I'm sure it's all over the place, actually. But how much would someone expect to pay for freelance work and make your pitch for why it's more cost effective to hire a freelancer? Right. Well, I think first, the first thing that I want to say is, when you're working with a freelancer, I suggest working with experienced freelancers, with experienced freelance lawyers. If you want 
just as with everything else, you get what you pay for. Someone with less experience is going to be generally less expensive, but um, it may it, it probably will require more oversight, a greater degree of oversight and supervision from you. Now, I find that solos and small firms, when they are outsourcing work, when they're using working with freelance lawyers, they want to get back a very high quality of work. And while there certainly is an obligation to spend an appropriate amount of time reviewing and, if necessary, revising the work, you don't want to be doing as putting in as much time as the freelance lawyer has. So, so you get what you pay for. Um, I, so what that means is generally you're going to be want, wanting to look for someone with uh, a, a certain amount of experience, say maybe at least five years. And now Council Network will require at least seven years, for example. So, and because you, you are busy, that's the reason you're too busy often to do it yourself. I mean, there's other reasons to use freelance lawyers as well. Maybe you don't like drafting briefs, <laughs> uh, you know, so that, that's a, a fairly valid, you know, that's a, that's a valid reason as well. But um, you're busy. If you want to have a junior person, that's more, to me, a service to the profession. So it def- depends on what your goals are and how much guidance you want to give the freelance lawyer. But I mean, so, are, are we paying a freelance lawyer a normal attorney's hourly rate or are we paying, I mean, what, what right, can we expect? No. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, good question. Good question. Yes. Um, so, you're generally going to pay uh, a freelance lawyer, say, between $100 and $200 an hour. Um, and that depends on number of years of experience, practice area, uh, area of the country. Basically, the idea is that you will be able to make a fairly significant profit on the work that the freelance lawyer uh, is doing for you. So let's say that you're working on a matter that you're billing hourly, right? Uh, You will pay the freelance lawyer perhaps, and this is just kind of a general general rule of thumb, perhaps half of what you're billing them out at. But remember, you're not paying, uh, you're not paying their health insurance benefits, okay, what you pay them, that's it, you're not even paying their half of the social security taxes. So, so hold on a second, because that's not, it's not intuitive to me that I could bill out a freelancer at higher than their hourly rate. Why isn't it like hiring a courier or, you know, a private investigator where I, I don't get to bill them back out at an hourly rate, I get to charge the invoice through to the client? Right. Shouldn't I just be charging the invoice through to the client? Um, no, absolutely not. Um, you can make a profit and all of the ethics opinions from around the country, except for Texas is a little weird, but um, every other ethics opinion that's dealt with this, the ABA and every other ethics opinion says you can absolutely make a profit on work performed by a freelance lawyer. You just need to show the work in the portion of the bill that where you're billing for fees. Right? So you might put some work in on the case, right? And so in that section for fees, as opposed to billing, if you bill as a disbursement, then you can't mark it up unless there's a previous agreement, right? That you're going to mark it up by a certain amount or percentage. But if you bill a freelance lawyer's work as a fee, which it is, right? It's a professional fee. It just happens to be done by someone who works for you as an independent contractor as opposed to as an employee. You absolutely can make a profit. Furthermore, 
while the client needs to agree to the amount that you're billing them, just like they have to agree to your billing rate, you don't have to reveal the amount of the, you know, the, what your profit is. Just like you don't have to reveal, well, I pay my associate $90,000 a year and hourly that comes out to blah, blah, blah. So this is a bit of a tangent, but I want to pursue it a little bit further. Sure. So can I do the same thing for an accountant? For an accountant, um, I I would say probably not because an accountant is going to be an expert in the case uh, as opposed, right, like, for example, a forensic accountant. Hmm. But again, that's that's not my area of expertise. Yeah. Uh, my area of expertise is, de- is dealing with freelance lawyers. Um, I mean, for example, with a paralegal, you're making um, profit on work done by a paralegal. Right. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Um, right. So I'm, these are within the core functions, within the core services that a law firm is providing. Yeah, some something feels weird about that to me, but uh, but it, I mean, it sounds like it's been vetted. What? So what's weird about Texas? Uh, Texas just has a weird thing about inside the firm and outside the firm. They're, but but freelance lawyers, uh, there are freelance lawyers who live and practice in Texas. Uh, we have a few in, in Now Council Network, for example, that um, have been able to structure their relationships with hiring firms so that it passes ethic, ethical muster in Texas. So if you're going to do it in Texas, take a look at the opinions, the ethics opinions out there and make sure you follow them is what we can say? Yes. it's a, it's Yeah, it's opinion 577 in Texas. Um, certainly anybody who wants to contact me, I can send a link, but it's out there. And, um, you know, I just, I don't want to focus too much on Texas because they're, you know, we got 49 states <laughs> versus just Texas. Yep. We got plenty of Texas listeners though. So I want to make sure we point them in the right place since it's the only one that's a little bit weird. Sure. Fair um, enough. So what would you say is the biggest challenge to working with a freelance lawyer for the hiring lawyer? Well, you know, I would say sometimes solos um, and small firm lawyers, but particularly solos who are used to doing everything themselves, just aren't really experienced with delegating work. And so they, they don't know what the best practices are to, to, to delegate. So, for example, you want to um, share, share all relevant information, all relevant documents at the beginning uh, of, of the engagement. It prevents delays, right? Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to give as clear instructions as possible. Uh, be open to feedback from the freelance lawyer, right? Um, so often the freelance lawyer, especially if you're working with an experienced freelance lawyer, uh, someone who's experienced can take a look at cases and say, Hey, you know, this issue that we didn't discuss, um, but this issue frequently comes up in the kinds of case that I'm working on, and I think there's some facts in this case that, that would, you know, make this a good argument for us. Um, can you tell me if there are these other facts? So I would say be open to, you know, going back and forth, a little bit of back and forth, um, on helping to, uh, to mold the issues. Right. Um, certainly, a freelance lawyer shouldn't go off on a on a big tangent without getting your approval. Right. No. That would be outside the scope of the project. But a, but a good freelance lawyer um, is really partnering with you, um, not you know as your business partner, but really on the same level and and really digging in uh, and and can really help you in that way. You know, one of the challenges I feel like I've found from. Um, from learning to manage, from being managed, is often that uh, f- lawyers 
uh, just want to hand something off that here, do this uh, without making clear what their expectations are. Um, you know, what they, you know, they, they just throw it at you. Maybe they mention a couple cases that they remember that may or may not be relevant and probably aren't. And, and so it seems to me like that clear setting, uh, setting or al- aligning expectations is probably the hardest piece or one of the harder pieces for, especially for solo lawyers, but, but also small firm lawyers that just aren't into delegating all the time. Right, exactly. I mean, definitely at the beginning, you you know, for example, uh, let's say that um, I'm hired to do a, write an opposition to a summary judgment motion. Right? I'd say, well, you know, my first question would be, well, you know, what arguments do you want to make? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, now, if the hiring lawyer says, well, I don't know, come up with something. I mean, that, that rarely happens because the hiring lawyer is already so familiar with the case. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Um, but, for example, you know, another situation where there's a motion to dismiss, they might say, well, you know what, here's the ones I've identified, but let me know if you come up with anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, again, another benefit of working with an experienced freelance lawyer. Now, um, if it's a large project and if it's a freelance lawyer that you haven't worked with before or that you're just starting to work with, um, certainly ask the freelance lawyer to check in every so often. If it's a large project every 10 hours or every week or, um, you know, say, after finishing research on, you know, the first legal issue, right, just just, just to, to touch base and check in, right, that will prevent surprises at the end. Uh, you know, now, believe me, good freelance lawyers are responsible business people. But, you know, once in a while you hear, oh, uh, you know, I, I gave this to the freelance lawyer and, and you know, I didn't get it back in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that's that that's going to happen as often as a lawyer does that to a client, which is not very often, right? right. Hopefully. <laughs> you know, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so, um, but certainly, certainly, I can certainly understand um, when you, especially when you're working with someone remotely, you want to have a little bit of extra insurance, as it were, at the beginning of a relationship. Once you, you know, once you have uh, established a relationship, once you've established trust, mutual trust, right? Um, then, you know, then you can ease off on on some of that. But certainly, also, always at the end, leave enough time, uh, leave yourself a little time to review and make any revisions. Uh, you know, because a good freelance lawyer. You know, after working, you know, uh, a good freelance lawyer who's worked with you a few times should really be, you know, should really be able to get into your head, right? Especially if you've given them feedback as to, for example, your writing style, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So uh, a good freelance lawyer who you've worked with a few times should be able to give you something that's almost signature ready. Right. Uh, And in fact, you know, I've had cases, uh, you know, projects myself where, you know, there have been zero or very few minor changes, but that doesn't mean that hasn't been reviewed. So you have to give yourself enough time to, you know, to do the same review that you would do, um, you know, with, uh, with, with, with an associate or something else on an important project. So lawyers who are uh, the kinds of lawyers who are running around uh, putting out fires and not figuring out until three days before the hearing that they're going to need help probably don't make great clients for a freelance lawyer well, or don't great, um, make great hires of freelance lawyers? 
And 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 again, if you kind of put that in another context, the kind if you know a, a, a litigant who you know who who gets served with a complaint and 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 doesn't call a lawyer until three days before the answers do, also maybe not necessarily the best client to have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and totally. so you take you right, you take that into account. It happens in every industry, right? And you know, sometimes it's possible, hey, like I'd love to help you with this. Can you see if you can get an enlargement, you know, an adjournment? Uh so you know, it is what it is and um, you know, freelance lawyer can, you know, decide what to do. Um, you know, when they're presented with it. So step one is obviously hiring a freelance lawyer. And uh, I I imagine some people may know someone who is suitable. For example, when I, um, I hate, I hated drafting complaints more than anything in the world. And so, but I needed to draft a bunch of them. And so one of my law school classmates happened to be uh, in between jobs and also really smart, um, capable, experienced litigating. And I said, hey, can I pay you to draft complaints for me? And so I would just sh- shoot the file over her to do it. That worked really well because I already knew her ahead of time. We, I was confident in, that she could just do this and that her work quality would probably be higher than mine anyway. Uh, but but if I don't know that person, how do I find someone? Sure, sure. Well, um Obviously, you know, uh, someone you know yep. uh, is, is going to be, you know, generally going to be a good choice if you know the quality of their work. Although doing business with friends isn't always, <laughs> you have to, um, you know, y- you certainly have to uh, make that calculation. Um, but you can ask your colleagues for referrals. It's just like you would hire anybody else, like someone to manage your IT, right? Ask for referrals. Who's good? Right. So, um, so the same way you would find any other, uh, independent contractor that, that, whose services that you want to use. So obviously person, knowing someone personally or knowing someone who knows them, getting a referral, right? Then you can go a little bit further afield, right? Say in, in the, your local bar association, um, or, you know, just out on the web, uh, be, becoming being a professional freelance lawyer, be a freelance lawyer as a career choice, uh, is becoming more popular. So, um, you know, you can just search the web for, say, legal brief writing help, um, you know, some general terms. So there are individual freelance lawyers out there, and there are also, uh, it's becoming uh, more popular to have uh, what now Council Network is, which is networks of freelance lawyers, um, which um, can all can be very helpful as well. Um, networks uh, generally uh, they come into play; they vet the lawyers to uh, a certain extent. Now, various networks work differently um, as far as the type. Uh, the, well, the type why don't you tell us about Now Council Network a little bit? Um, I. I'm, I'm looking at the website and it looks like there's maybe a couple dozen lawyers in it. And I know that this is pretty, pretty new as well. But so how, how do you go about vetting? How do you get people into the network and, and how, how does it help people find a freelancer? Sure, sure. Okay. Well, so, um, we have a fairly strict process for vetting our freelance attorneys. All of our freelance attorneys have to have at least seven years of experience in practice and or as a legal research and writing instructor at a law school. So that's the bare minimum just to get through the door, 
Right. Uh, then um, we check admi- a bar admissions and disciplinary history. So, of course, you have to have a clean disciplinary history. Uh, we review uh, we review writing samples. Um, that's something that, um, as far as I know, it's fairly unique because we want to have a very high quality uh, product. Right. We want our freelance lawyers to be providing very high quality work. So um, we do review a writing sample. And um, we also check uh, three ref- we talk we speak with three references. So that's uh, that's the procedure process of getting admitted um, as a now counsel network freelance attorney. Gotcha. And there are others out there. Um, I know uh, custom counsel is now attached to Curo Legal, um, and we've had Nicole Braddock on who that was her company. Um, there's Hire and Esquire. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I did some Googling and spotted a couple others that you said were, were out there competing, competing like Overflow Legal Network and Montage. I suppose with those, you just have to kind of do what you can to vet someone and then give it a try and see if you work together well. You might not have the perfect experience the first time because maybe you just don't work well together, I assume. Sure. I mean, um, remember, it's a it's a it's a business relationship, but it's also a personal relationship. Work right, work styles uh, and personalities also have to mesh. No different than an employee, although an employee, you know, you're kind of stuck with for for, for more time. Mm-hmm. But certainly, you you want someone who's going to both measure up to your standards um, and and hopefully exceed them. Yeah, I suppose you you mentioned uh, you've mentioned partnership a couple times. Like, I think that's probably a better mind set for going out and finding someone is I want to partner somebody with, without any of the baggage of actually forming a partnership. Um, that seems actually like a pretty good attitude because it, it is, it, it's a respected colleague that you're going to collaborate with, not um, a young recent graduate who you're hoping is just going to be able to spit some decent work back at you. Exactly. It's an intellectual part, not a business partnership, right? We have to be very yeah. careful using our terms of art, but certainly an intellectual uh, partnership. Very cool. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for being with us today and talking about freelance lawyering. It's been helpful for me, and I, I'm sure it's helpful for our listeners, and uh, I really appreciate it. Sam, thanks for having me. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast or legaltalknetwork.com. You can subscribe via iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. Both Lawyerist and The Legal Talk Network can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and you can download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play or iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said during this podcast is legal advice.